0: Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming Williams. Following a rotten start to the year and a calamitous last week for cryptocurrencies, in this episode I speak to two experienced crypto investors, Francesco Filia of Fasanara Capital and Baxter Hines of Honeycomb Digital. First up, I welcome back Francesco, who has just raised $350 million for crypto and fintech investments with the memorable quote, chaos brings opportunities. I began by asking Francesco how he sees the market right now.
1: Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. I can uh, give you our take uh, on the market uh, these days. Uh, as a firm, we do early-stage uh, technology investments into these uh, startups uh, doing uh, cryptocurrency, uh, uh, Web3 applications, uh, and also fintech um, and the fintech lending in particular. And uh, uh, obviously, like uh, the market has been quite ebullient uh, in 2021, uh, has been very much in favor of uh, our sector. Uh, valuations were extremely high uh, and at the same time, public assets, both bonds and equities were also at all-time highs. And all of a sudden, in, in, the, in a matter of a few months, uh, the market has uh, derailed, uh, prices have gone uh, off the peaks. Uh, and in the last days in particular, the crypto markets went into uh, trouble a lot of volatility, downward pressures but also like more uh, structural dislocations like what happened to stable coins in particular algorithmic stable coins and then in in, uh, in more recent hours also like more traditional stable coin. Um, mm. the way we look at it as a, as fazanara is uh, uh, like uh, uh, you know in in a way we think that this was both uh, uh, inevitable and long overdue and also welcome uh, to some extent. Mm. I mean uh, we are a long term builder uh, within the industry. We've been around 11 years and we've been uh, veterans in, uh, in in our asset classes trading on the crypto side since the last five and in the FinTech since the last eight. So um, we've been already seeing a few winters Uh, over the years, uh, and we are not particularly surprised by the most uh, recent one. And uh, um, more importantly than that, uh, uh, I think that uh, your ability as a long-term builder and investor, your ability to cut good deals in the market uh, is actually proportional to the dislocations that you can find in this market. And that's what I mean by this uh, with chaos comes opportunity. Right? That if the market actually is more difficult in a normal market in normal market conditions to cut a good deal than it is uh, during a uh, dislocated times. During dislocated times, you have, by definition, less competition. And uh, and and due to that, you are a little bit more in peace at cutting the economics on your deals. You have more time um, to find the right agreements uh, and the right long-term alignments with your portfolio companies. Uh, This is really great help, right, if you look at it this way. Whereas in a very bullion market, when you get a a new deal, uh, when you win a new deal, you feel a little bit stupid sometimes because you feel like you were the highest bidder in a very crowded auction. And that's not the greatest feeling that you can have.
0: I, I think that's a very familiar investment proposition when there's, where, is it the Rothschild thing, when there's blood on the street, um, then then go and do business. Just to challenge one idea, which is that, as you say, you've been um, doing this for many years, you've seen several winters already. Um, there are potentially some, it, it depends really if you think um, perhaps the previous winters were just a kind of, what goes up, goes down, goes up, goes down. It's just crypto evolving. That's That potentially is the way um, it has looked so far, looking back on on, on, on crypto's evolution. Um, one potential counterpoint for where we are right now is that we haven't had a hiking Federal Reserve before. And actually, um, that could be meaning that there's a lot of liquidity leaving the system and that kind of liquidity which had been in in more speculative, potentially growth, big future kind of places um, is now potentially moving out of it. And so there's a possibility that this this time might be different. And, and um, I don't know if anyone is going, I don't know if anyone's going so far as to say this time is different enough that it will kill you know, those, those opportunities, but it might be different to the other winters you're experiencing.
1: Yeah, th- th- that's a fair point. Th- there are two levels to this. I mean, obviously, the quota that you that you use uh, to be investing when there is blood on the street uh, dates uh, back to a time in which the market was in a very difficult time, uh, but on traditional asset classes, right? On a very established and traditional asset classes. So the, the quota refers to your ability to buy bonds and equities during a downturn. Uh, playing the mean reversion trade, you know, uh, during uh, an excursus, uh, there is an, uh, like an, an overshooting, uh, an overcompensation to the downside, uh, allowing you to have uh, a better entry point uh, on a very long-term value proposition. But on traditional asset classes, the difference here is that we apply the same to a novel asset class and a nascent industry. Uh, thinking about both uh, crypto and and technology in general, and fintechs. Uh, Both of them are very, very recent. They are very young. They are 10 years old each. And if you want, the real trading in crypto is really five years old, um, if you wish. And the institutional grade is only two years old. So like, uh, um, that's a different story, right? It's not so much the overshooting and the mere reversion. It's more the early stages of uh, new technology being adopted being very early stage on the adoption curve, it's only very natural that there are moments of despair, desperation, followed by, uh, again, uh, um, enthusiasm uh, and the bullions. I think we, we are going to see this again and again uh, in the future as the uh, asset class consolidates and the reaches uh, uh, you know like a, a broader adoption. So there is nothing really that should uh, catch us much by surprise in what is happening today. If anything, uh, the most recent episode is about the stable coins, and we are learning more about stable coins and perhaps uh, what we should be seeing in the very stable coins and not uh, uh, what we should be seeing in very unstable stable coins uh, so we are learning as we do uh, and this, this is very much of a learning process it's also very good what is happening because it's uh, discriminating between the good and bad guys uh, mm-hmm. the bad guys are the ones that are riding the hype and launching new protocols projects and and uh, and tech ideas uh, only to ride the hype because they know that there is a way to make a quick buck and that is weak and that is weak hands and and those are being cleaned out by the market during these moments whereas the long-term builders uh, the ones that have got real value and real use cases perhaps as well that they connect or they go closer to the real economy, which is my idea uh, personally that uh, should happen um, those are uh, rewarded because they will uh, f- survive this and they live uh, live through a less competitive ecosystem than before and th- this is the first level right of uh, of your comment the second the second the second, uh, the second uh, 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 thing that I would say is that uh, um, there is in public and private markets a law of communicating vessel at play, in my opinion. So the liquidity of the central banks have been benefiting uh, all asset classes. It's that tide that, that lifts up all boats. And there yeah. is very little that can be said that, that uh, excludes cryptocurrencies from this uh, uh, theorem. I mean, cryptocurrencies have been uh, at the receiving end of this uh, big liquidity wave, and that's why also in recent times uh, you have seen this correlation uh, between uh, cryptos and uh, and uh, and the rest, right? And uh, so, cryptos has been has behaved. Uh, uh, not so much as dig- digital gold, uh, not so much as a, as a commodity, has really behaved like a risk asset for the most part. Now, this correlation is a uh, short term; is temporary. Perhaps uh, in the future it won't be the case. Uh, I wouldn't say that uh, we should look at this as uh, uh, an indication for the future. You know, this is not necessarily as informative as, as it looks. But definitively, in the last uh, 18 to 24 months we have seen this uh, benefiting from the liquidity wave, which has affected everybody on the way up and now is affecting everybody on the way down. So I think that uh, um, it's uh, like uh, no surprise that, that this is happening. Liquidity was definitely the, the elephant in the room. Was definitely the biggest determinant of price discovery in 2020 and 2021 and, and now we have seen the beginning of a correction in my opinion in my in my opinion the correction could keep going in my opinion it would be beneficial if it was keeping going keeping on going because it would uh, reprise uh, things at uh, a level which is more realistic uh, and uh, tying uh, things up uh, to the role that, that that the markets should really play which is allocation of capital to the real economy and not a role of itself in self-referential uh, style. And this, this refers really to also public equities and public bonds. Uh, very recently, markets have uh, completely disconnected to the real economy and to fundamentals. They've gone into hyperspace in terms of valuations. And at that point, uh, it's not so much uh, a matter of expensiveness of the market, it's also a matter of the market not being able to fulfill its core function of allocation, allocator to the real economy.
0: Finding, finding true value, essentially. Um, what do you think, Francesco? So you, you've laid out quite clearly that your, your, your investment strategy is, is towards finding things which actually have a purpose and a function. Things are falling, so finding the, the diamonds in the rough. How will you go about
1: finding them? Um, So we try to be atypical about it, or we try to have a very narrow focus. Like the typical venture capital funds would have a a very broad approach. They would uh, analyze uh, whatever ideas uh, uh, gets uh, thrown on the table and determine if there is a big enough target addressable market, uh, there is a big enough execution capacity from the viewpoint of the team of these firms to execute on their business plan, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Like we come from a different background. Our more established funds, uh, which are now like uh, some of them are uh, 10 plus years old. uh, uh, they've been uh, establishing themselves as uh, cap- capital providers in the industry, both fintech and crypto. So we are fintech lend- lenders to a lot of uh, like fintech platforms uh, globally, more than 110. And we are a um, good liquidity provider to exchanges, uh, both centralized and decentralized in the crypto world. So our expertise uh, comes from that. We are lenders and traders. Right, and so we understand the the, the intricacies of uh, what uh, uh, what it is a lending book, what it is a trading book, and that that's where our expertise is really uh, formed. And so we try to utilize that to inform our investment decisions. On the venture side, so whenever we look at portfolio companies, uh, we apply our metrics and we really understand uh, looking at uh, crypto app uh, that they do trading or service providers or for for trading. Uh, on the other end, the fintechs that they do lending to the real economy, both the consumers and uh, uh, and SMEs and corporations. And uh, when we see that, then we know if there is a good value and we know that firsthand because we are the first user of those applications, projects and protocols and and companies. So being the first user, uh, we know exactly if uh, we like what we see and uh, if, uh, as a first user, we don't like to use it ourselves, then we should probably not invest on the equity side because it means that, uh, you know, like uh, they are not good enough, and and therefore why should we? So when it comes to a real use case for those companies, I think I think as as, a, as an entity we encapsulated that very well because the first use case is Fazanara, and if Fazanara is pleased with the service, that probably means that they're they they're they're doing they're, they're, they're doing a good job, and when it comes to uh, lending, for example, in particular, if you want to establish your yourself as a fintech lender, you need to be able to understand lending, you need to be able to do a good job at originating, you need to be able to do a quality job. And the determinant of long-term growth for you as a firm is definitely the quality of your origination and nothing else. So at the time in which we are able to opine on it, is the time in which we are able to invest in it as well because we think it's good. And um, there is far too much in the market these days which is short-term oriented, oriented to turn a quick buck. And uh, and is about throwing money to make money, and uh, we don't like that. Like so, we clearly know what that we want to be to stay away from it, and we want to go for real value, perhaps creating in a slower manner, but being more sustainable. You are a lending business; you need to lend well, and that is uh, uh, dictating your sustainability, the sustainability of your business model, and nothing else.
0: Looking at these investments, I mean, so so essentially, what it sounds like is you're saying, look we're looking at them, we're, we're interacting with them and we're recognizing that they're good because, you know, we're a happy customer essentially, or a happy, happy lender or, or, or whatever you're doing with them. Um, is there anything that unites all of these, all of these fintechs, apart from the fact that you think they're good? Is there, is there an overall vision of a future which you're working towards um, and you're buying, you're investing in the things that you think will fit into that future? Is there, can you, can you, is there a model that you're, you're putting them all into?
1: Yes there is uh, the model is the one of a digital future which is the name that we give to this uh, digital economy and digital finance that will uh, will uh, will uh, will uh, uh, um, uh, percolate across the markets uh, and the economies uh, in 2025 and beyond so uh, we we actually also wrote a research piece on the market economy in 2025 a visualization exercise and we had done another one in, 20, in 2016 uh, looking at the economy of 2020 and so like uh, and we do these things uh, on, a, uh, on a regular basis, like this long-term view. At this moment, the long-term view is about uh, an economy and fin- and financial markets uh, that they look at the combination between two, uh, two very major trends. One is digital lending and fintechs and the platform-based economies. And the other one is the uh, digital assets and cryptocurrencies, blockchain, DeFi and the rest, which is the community-owned economies, right? So uh, these are two layers uh, in the same direction. So layer one is uh, uh, fintech, which is a derivative of the uh, traditional banking channel. So it it is an improvement to that. Uh, And then there is layer two, which is uh, an improvement to that, which also involves uh, native currencies. So not uh, uh, dollars a euro. Uh, but uh, you know cryptocurrencies uh, altogether, so uh, entirely new money rails. But in a way, you go in the same direction, right? You move away from the traditional financial system uh, into into the future, and the future, the, the commonality in the future is digital, right? So this is a digital future, and our idea is that uh, the 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 real champions in the asset management industry, which is our industry, uh, will be uh, will will see as a necessity. Uh, the ability to master both simultaneously, right? You know, in order to be complete and uh, and, the, and the future proof, you must be like able to master both at the same time. And that's exactly what we do and we don't do anything else beyond that. So we are fully focused on this idea of digital future, which is the combination and the intersection between digital assets and digital lending. And what will the real winners in the crypto space look like? Well, the real uh, uh, users in the crypto space will be, uh, in my opinion, uh, uh, builders for the real economy. So I think that uh, there is uh, uh, no way that you can stay away from it if you really want to have a long-term uh, uh, sustainability. You need to have use cases which they cater to real people and real companies, uh, and that's where our emphasis is uh, definitely right. A little bit of the problem with the with the with the crypto projects has been. Uh, Um, you know, like uh, self-referentiality, right? And so like uh, the the ability to to work within the ecosystem, but have no uh, use case uh, beyond it or outside of it. And I feel that 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 has been a little bit exposed by the market, especially in recent times with what happened to to Luna, but there are multiple other uh, examples. Uh, And I think that uh, uh, the real trick Uh, to make it sustainable and to be a long-term winner is uh, to find that uh, uh, finality in your business. Uh, so it's a beautiful instrument, it's a beautiful tool, and I understand that there is a lot of experimentation going through. So I understand that it needs to move in multiple directions, where it also, it, which also includes a creative destruction. I understand all of it, but at the same time, the end goal should be, you know, the eyes on the ball, right? And the ball should be the real economy and how this uh, makes the life of corporations and consumers uh, ultimately better than it was before.
0: Francesco, as a um, paid-up member of the real economy. Um, I, allow me a little bit of a little bit of trepidation about that um because it seems to me that that these winters as you describe each one um has larger effects, receives more news, has more ripple effects every time crypto. And it is a very um, volatile as- asset. Every time it goes up and down. At the beginning, it was just a, a little storm in a teacup with a with a bunch of crypto weirdos. But increasingly, it's becoming investment banks and 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 larger funds. And increasingly, uh, even now, you know, uh, here we are in in 2022, and there are questions about if it continues going down, could it start affecting major major um uh you know having having major effects in the in the in in more integral parts of the real economy. Um it, it seems to me that there are there are huge risks actually in in making crypto uh more important to the real real economy while it's as volatile as it is. Don't don't you think there needs to be some kind of um uh I don't know safeguards or 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 some kind of stabilization to happen in crypto before it's allowed to be important in the real economy. Um, 2025 feels pretty soon.
1: No, most certainly there will there there will need to be some stabilization. But like uh, I wouldn't uh, really um, like uh, uh, I wouldn't really say that this is not happening. I mean th- there is a large volatility on the price of certain coins, of course, and there is also like some market events on uh, on new things like uh, some of the stable coins the algorithmic stable coins in particular but this is really nothing that uh, derails the long term view and the long term process on the underlying technology right the big question is uh, like uh, is this technology useful or not uh, and is this technology going to survive the short term volat- volatility or not in my opinion the answer is yes absolutely it is the underlying technology, and then I'm not saying that uh, the winner would necessarily be Bitcoin or uh, USDC or uh, you know some other type, uh, mm. uh, some other type of uh, specific, uh, you know, like uh, um, adventures within the sector. What I'm saying is that the underlying technology will be utilized because it has got a very strong, uh, like uh, uh, use case and uh, and the finality to the real economy potentially. Everybody knows how inefficient it is uh, the current money rail. And how um, uh, full of frictions it is, how, how inefficient it is for the users, how it is really tilted to the largest corporations, the largest consumers, and not uh, the rest. Uh, how much the financial inclusion is a theme, etc., etc., etc. But let me clarify this market. So I'm looking at a uh, at a multiverse, multi-chain type world, uh, which also includes uh, uh, central bank digital currencies. Uh, this is part of the mix, in my opinion. In my opinion, it's far too early to understand who the real long-term winners will be. They will emerge as emerging properties of a complex system in transition. I, I really believe we are in a phase transition zone. I felt like this for already three years. We have wrote extensive research on that. Uh, and so like, what I'm trying to say is that, for example, when you look at central banks, you know, like there are central, uh, several central banks are now taking very seriously the digital currencies for their own purposes in more regulated ways and also in ways in, in, ways in which... Uh, there will be more stabilization and more like a stability, right? The central bank, which is far ahead than anybody else, is definitely the, the central bank in China. Central mm-hmm. bank in China has started experiments in the sector already 2014. So we are going for year 10 very soon. Uh, they have conducted 1.3 million use cases, you know, from government services to transportation to shopping. Uh, they have already implemented 21 million retail wallets and 3.5 million corporate wallets. And uh, billions and billions of volumes, I think, is above a five billion of dollar volumes uh, uh, since launch. So these are real numbers, uh, and like uh, also the longevity of the effort also is quite telling. Uh, and I think that uh, you know, like uh, the you know, it uh, it relates to the same underlying technology, uh, and it is uh, de- de- depicting a clear trend that I think is irreversible. I don't think that uh, like a casualty here and there. An episode of volatility outburst here, year, year or there, however severe, will be able to derail this long-term process.
0: Mm. I'm, I'm. You're probably right. And um, my, my worry is that we could end up with massive crises um, if, 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 if the transition happens too quickly, and if, if this very powerful baby is brought into uh, into the you know into the family.
1: Let me push back there a little bit. look a massive crisis. Uh, they are in cryptos and they should be in crypto because crypto is a ten years old, but really five years old, if you ask me. But uh, um, what about the massive crisis in public assets? I mean, we have seen a huge uh, uh, ballooning of liquidity on uh, the S&P and the Nasdaq. Some technology stocks, some darlings uh, uh, have been uh, uh, like uh, boosted uh, uh, by momentum trading uh, to some exorbitant levels which were completely unjustified. It was uh, entirely driven by multiple expansions. And now they are crashing to the ground, uh, some of them by more than 90% from Mm. peak right? Is that not like a disaster move? And that has nothing to do with cryptos, right? We have, you're talking about some large listed companies in the US and beyond. Yeah. Uh, so like volatility in itself is like, I would say, it's not an indicator of risk because very often it's too low. But even when it's too high, uh, we should apply the same metrics and, uh, and look beyond that, you know, beyond the, uh, what it looks for in traded price and more at the fundamentals, right? Is, is this useful or not? Is this going to survive or not? I, I believe that the technology is badly needed, both in new money rails, cryptos, and fintech as a way to revamp and reinvent a very traditional, outdated, uh, traditional banking channel.
0: Fair enough, Francesco. I think you've I think you've argued your case very very well. So um so no, essentially capitalism going to capitalism, and uh, crypto is just another asset which goes up and down like all the others. Um, Fair enough, brilliant. Well, Francesco, thanks very much. That was a really interesting conversation.
1: Thank you, thank you, Mark. Thanks again, and uh, nice to talk to you again. Likewise. Next up is Baxter
0: Hines, CIO at Honeycomb Digital, and author of the book Digital Finance security tokens, and unlocking the real potential of blockchain.
2: Absolutely. So I do uh, work here at Honeycomb Digital Investments. We are a digital assets, I like to say, investment firm. We will do anything on the that's blockchain related. Uh, right now, the only products we have live for investors are related to cryptocurrency. Uh, we do a uh, separately managed account platform where we can either bring in uh Investors directly through that platform ourselves, or we can go through financial advisors who may want to uh, have their clients invested in into this new and exciting digital space. And then we also have a private fund that holds both core and emerging cryptocurrencies. And we see this this whole digital space and the blockchain expanding over many many years. I'm a firm believer that. This innovation will be the biggest thing for our society since the internet, and it's going to disrupt the financial industry, the healthcare industry, you name it. There are going to be very few industries that are not going to be uh, greatly impacted by this technology. It's going to create a better, faster, cheaper way of doing business and create all kinds of, of economic growth. I really got into the space and got excited about it back in about 2015. I actually heard about Bitcoin in 2011. I didn't do anything with it. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I understood mm. the whole idea of transferring value through the internet and liked the the technology, but I didn't st- at the time see the real value in, in Bitcoin. So that was my my shortcoming. Like a lot of people, um, it took me some time to to let everything sink in because this is so new and uh, just so so revolutionary. But um, in about 2015, I realized when. We first started seeing stuff tokenize. I'm uh, not endorsing Tether, but Tether was really the first uh, stable coin, if you will, that was pegged to the dollar. And I was working for a firm here in Dallas called NFJ Investment Group. We were owned by Allianz, the largest insurance company in Europe. Uh, Pimco was their fixed income manager, we were their equity income manager. I was one of six portfolio managers overseeing about $40 billion. In investor money, and so you know, crypto was about the uh, farthest thing away from what we were doing that, that c- could possibly exist. But I fell in love with the technology. I realized with Tether that if you could take something like a dollar, you could custody at a bank and then create a receipt on that. Um, that you could do it with anything. You could do it with stocks, with bonds, with real estate, whatever it might be. At the time, I was working a lot on international uh, in. The, Uh, mutual fund products, and uh, we were buying ADRs, or American Depository Receipts. And basically, the way those worked were that American investors could buy shares of, say, Royal Dutch Shell or Toyota. uh, In the local market here in New York, um, through this ADR program, where a custodian bank would buy those shares of Shell and, say, Amsterdam or shares of Toyota in Tokyo and uh, they would just hold them in, in, in their custody vaults, and then they would issue this receipt, again, an ADR, an American Depository receipt showing you that, the, um, that you owned ownership in that particular company. And I said, shoot, this is this is what the blockchain is going to be great for. So I ended up writing a a book about all of this called Digital Finance, Security Tokens and Unlocking the Real Potential of Blockchain.
0: Fantastic. So um, you have, it's April 2020, you have written a book about digital assets and you've just launched Honeycomb. What's your assets under management?
2: We've got about 10 million under management right now. The Mm -hmm. way that we look at the crypto space is we think that... uh, 95 percent of the cryptos out there today are totally speculative and have little to no value. But however, there are several projects that ha- have a real utility to them. They're using this blockchain technology to create a better, faster way of doing some line of business that will add value to society. So what we're trying to do is identify those cryptocurrencies that have that a use case that can solve a real economic or commercial problem. And that is going to change a lot of investors' mindsets about cryptocurrency. Everyone thinks that they're speculative. As I mentioned a minute ago, I totally agree that most of it is totally speculative. But what I see happening is the, the market is going to realize that there are sort of two types of cryptocurrencies that you're going to want to have. The first is what I would call digital gold. Um, that has that space has, has firmly been cemented by Bitcoin. You've probably heard about how Bitcoin is seen as this Uh, alternative store of value. It's a scarce asset that will only have 21 million Bitcoins ever. If you think about that um, and how scarce that is, there are uh, 7 billion people in the world. So that means there are 300 people per Bitcoin that can ever be be mined. Um, the, The demand for Bitcoin is growing at a rate very similar to the way that the Internet grew in the late 1990s. So you've got this exponentially increasing demand curve with a fixed supply. Uh, Economics 101 would say that prices should go up over time. So that's your first sort of pillar, if you will, uh, digital gold. What I see the next big uh, set of winners in the market coming from is, is this quest for what I'm calling digital oil. And what I mean by that is there are these cryptocurrencies, as I mentioned earlier, that have a real utility. And people are going to buy them because they can they can help solve a real economic or or commercial problem. And so let's say Walmart, they want to put their supply chain onto the blockchain. They're going to have to go out and buy cryptocurrency and spend cryptocurrency to write their supply chain movements into the ledger. If Louis Vuitton wants to put any counterfeiting measures into their handbags and into their shoes, they're going to go out and buy crypto and spend crypto to make that happen. So just like those companies have to go out and buy oil or electricity or iron to procure goods and services or market those goods and services and distribute those goods and services in the right way. Crypto is going to be almost like an industrial commodity for this new information age. I I often say that blockchain will be the engine for the information economy that as we go forward and cryptocurrency will be the oil that spins the wheels of those uh, those that engine.
0: Why? Why can you? Can we just uh, pause for a second? Why? Why will Louis Vuitton be needing the blockchain?
2: So, um, one of the great things about blockchain is you can record and and show scarcity of an asset. You can show who's owned an asset all the way back to the genesis of that particular coin. So, um, I'll give you give an example. Here in Dallas, uh, we have an upscale neighborhood called Highland Park, and there's a there's a Facebook group called Park City's Yard Sale where a lot of people will sell sort of used goods, if you will. And there are a lot of women on there that that have a closet full of, you know, Chanel purses and Louis Vuitton shoes and all that kind of stuff. And my wife goes on that site all the time. And and when an item comes up that someone wants, what's always the first question that somebody asks about that Chanel purse? They ask, is it a real purse? Mm. Well, that's hard to prove. Um, it, it, It really is. Now, what if... Louis Vuitton, when you went to um, one of their stores, when you bought that purse, they issued you a token that would show that you bought it at whatever, let's say you you bought it on the Champs-Élysées in Paris. Um, And then that token could could show that Louis Vuitton had it all the way back to the time that it was produced in a factory in wherever, Turkey or wherever they, they Italy, wherever they manufacture their goods.
0: I'm beginning. To, I'm beginning to see why. So NFTs is a concept that I've become familiar with, separate to the real world uses. But NFTs is basically taking this token of a of a um of a of a handbag and just making it a you know maybe just the token will be will be valuable. You don't even need the handbag. Actually, having the token will be. So I'm just beginning to see where NFTs came from.
2: Exactly right. And I mean, just you think about something like owning a car here in the U.S. If I give you the keys to the car, you don't own the car. Why? Because I have a piece of paper at a bank or in my safety deposit box, wherever it is, that's a title that's been issued by, in my case, it would be the state of Texas saying that I'm the owner of that car. The only way that I can transfer that title to you is by transferring literally the piece of paper that shows that you own the car and not me. Um, So I think the same thing is going to happen with all kinds of goods and services. Uh, I'm a big believer that there's this idea of a digital twin that will be associated with all kinds of products um, everything from consumer goods to food and beverages um, there will be a token that will be created with that product that can be passed along to different people throughout the supply chain even to the end owner to show to show value and uh, there are all kinds of great things that 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 token economy will do to create again efficiencies and 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 uh, uh, ways of, of uh, expanding uh, the markets for those products and, and, and proving that the product is what it says it is, and, and that, that, it, that it has in it what, what it's supposed to have.
0: Okay, and so, um, so, and we're, we're we're retreading the ground that you you tread you trod quickly. Um, so Louis Vuitton wants to create a token. For its handbag, which can then be passed on um, when an owner buys it, and then passed on to secondhand or whatever. Um, why does Louis Vuitton then need a cryptocurrency? Why could? Why does that have to happen in a cryptocurrency rather than in a in a um, fiat currency?
2: Great question. So the way that you write a transaction into the ledger is that you pay the computers that are validating those transactions with some of the native cryptocurrency. So let's say I were to send you today one Ethereum. You would have to take, just make the numbers simple, 1.01 Ethereum out of my wallet. You would get one Ethereum. And then that remaining 0.01 would go to the the, the computers that are validating that transaction. And if you add up all of those 0.01s, um, or the fees that are associated with Ethereum is doing somewhere between seven and a half to $15 million a day in fee revenue. Um, and we're only right now trading around things like pictures of cats. And uh, you may have seen like the bored apes, uh, mm-hmm. NFTs. You're also trading around the cryptocurrency itself. We're still in the infant stages of, of the, the fee generation and the number of transactions that are occurring on blockchain. I think that's only going to exponentially grow over time so if louis vuitton wants to move around that nft that they issued for the say their handbag they're gonna have to pay a little bit of the native cryptocurrency of whatever chain they decide to put it on to make that happen that's that's the oil that makes the engine of the blockchain run so to speak
0: that is that is the case right now um here we are on the 13th of, of may and um cryptocurrencies have had a bad week but it What if, hypothetically speaking, um, this bad week turned into a bad month, turned into a bad year? Would there be an alternative solution uh, where in an alternative future, Louis Vuitton could do the blockchain work that it wants to do with its handbags, but be doing the money in fiat money? Or Or is it just created this way using cryptocurrency because that's the way the architects have created it thus far?
2: That is the way that it's been created thus far. I think that what you would want to do is rather than having Louis Vuitton or whoever it might be having their own private sort of network, you would want to use a public network because there are all kinds of other um, applications that can interact and and, and create uh, this interoperability that would would create even more functionality for something like, uh, like Louis Vuitton. I mean, think about today, the apps that are on your Smartphone. Um, Yes, you could have a Louis Vuitton app on the smartphone, but it it, it's much more powerful for Louis Vuitton to leverage something like Apple's network or Samsung's network than going out and creating their own phone or their own type of piece of software to do that. So I think what they'll do is they'll use one of these public blockchains to create all again of that that additional interoperability that will um, will help them to grow and, and, and prosper in a much faster way if they work together. With with other other players in the tech space,
0: so Louis Vuitton's been a really useful example for understanding a kind of simple and 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 high value good. Um, what can you can you give some other examples of, of the types of industries which are likely to be changed or helped by use of blockchain?
2: Yeah, I mean, let's let's take something like Walmart, um, Honeycomb Digital. We've partnered up with the University of Arkansas. We have a. a a member of the staff there, Carol Goforth, on our um, advisory board. She is a a law professor there at the the university, and she wrote the book for Westlaw, which is, if you're familiar with Westlaw, Westlaw is to the legal industry here in the United States, what Bloomberg is, the financial industry. So she Mm -hmm. wrote the book on regulation for that. We're very proud to to work with her. And what's interesting about the University of Arkansas is it's located just a few miles away from where Walmart is is headquartered, Walmart's dumped a ton of money into the University of Arkansas to create the Blockchain Center of Excellence at the Sam Walton School of Business. And we have seen through that relationship or through different uh, other, other avenues that Walmart is very interested in blockchain technology. In fact, I wrote in my book how Walmart had uh, written a patent or had obtained a patent for a stable coin so that they would have one of their coins pegged to the value of the dollar now where do i see that going i think that walmart in the future will will try to mandate that all of their vendors will have to take payment in one of these stable coins so in a cryptocurrency form of of, of payment. And you ask well why in the world would they want to do that well there's several reasons the first is If they pay with cryptocurrency, it's an instant settlement of payment. Um, In today's financial system, it takes many days for a payment to get from one person to another. So today is a Friday. If I were to send you money, Mark, um, you would probably not get that money in your account until maybe Wednesday or Thursday of next week. Um, And that's just the way the banking system works with its antiquated systems. With a cryptocurrency, if I were to send you the same amount... Um, you would get it right now. Um, Mm -hmm. So that would free up a ton of working capital for Walmart and and its vendors. More importantly, though, what would end up happening is when Walmart pays a vendor, let's say it's a vendor that's selling them heads of lettuce that they're going to sell in their their grocery stores. They would pay for that batch of lettuce. Let's say it's a thousand heads of lettuce with a cryptocurrency. Then in paying them, they would have all of their receipts or uh, invoices sent to them and it would all be uh, on chain from an accounting standpoint that would allow Walmart to get real time uh, accounting um, and reporting done. Um, there wouldn't have to be any, any reconciliation work, which is a, a big part of, of their probably accounting bill that they have with, with one of the big four accounting firms um, that would uh, really cut a lot of their costs out. It would also allow them to track, now the supply chain of of their of the the say the lettuce heads that this vendor sold them. They could track from you know where these lettuce heads were grown, what trucks these lettuce heads were put on when they were shipped to the to their stores. They could see all of that that kind of data when they were sold. Well, let's say another thing happens. Let's say there's a salmonella outbreak. The the Food and Drug Administration here in the the US calls up Walmart and all of the people who are selling. Uh, heads of lettuce in in a certain area and says, hey, we've got a a disease that's outbreaking, a sickness. We think it's coming from lettuce. You, the vendors of this product, you need to do something about it. Well, in today's world, it takes a lot of time, money, and there's a lot of risk with trying to solve a problem like that. It may take two to three weeks for a team of investigators at Walmart to find out where all of those heads of lettuce are, where they came from, um, and so what ends up happening is Walmart just goes and they throw away every head of lettuce in that particular region. Um, and so there's a lot of waste that occurs. Now, envision this in a blockchain type of setting. Walmart would have all of the data of where all of those heads of lettuce came from, not only from the vendor that I've been describing in my exam, but every vendor that they they bought the heads of lettuce from. They could find out who got sick, where did where did they, uh where did they buy the, where and when did they buy the lettuce they could track all of the heads of lettuce that were maybe stored in certain refrigerators they could clean those refrigerators out they could look for all the trucks that were they were uh those lettuce heads were shipped on clean those out they could go all the way back to the original farm that it came from literally in a 2 second type of of, of that's a 2 second exercise on the blockchain you can you can scan for that kind of data that quickly and so you, again, you make this better, faster, cheaper way of doing business. And for a firm like Walmart, preserving margins is the name of the game. Um, they want to just keep that margin going. If they can do that, they'll do it. And that's why I think they'll invest in this technology.
0: Sounds good. Um Energy usage. Uh, Bitcoin uses a lot of energy due to so. Bitcoin uses a lot of energy because the way it verifies, um, uh, the way it verifies that. I, I won't explain in in a few words why Bitcoin uses a lot of energy, but you can do better. <laughs> um, is the energy usage issue resolved in your mind?
2: I believe that we now have newer blockchains that can help solve this issue that you're describing. Uh, and be able to actually scale the blockchain in an interesting uh, type of way. Bitcoin, and I won't get into all the technical uh, issues here, but Bitcoin uses a a consensus mechanism, meaning the way that they decide what goes into the ledger or does not go into the ledger by a method known as proof of work. And proof of work is extremely energy intensive, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Some of these newer blockchains, are using what's known as proof of stake, where instead of having it be energy intensive, you run the blockchain almost like you would a corporate shareholder meeting. And what do I mean by that? So let's say we have a company like Procter & Gamble. When they decide what the company's going to do, uh, what you know, what corporate strategy they're going to adopt, what resolutions are they going to adopt to the company's charter? what How much dividend are they going to pay? The way that that is done is by a vote. And the vote is determined not by how many people vote for a certain uh, issue, but how many people vote with a certain number of shares. So if, Mark, you have 10 times more shares than I do at Procter & Gamble, your vote in that matter would have 10 times more gravity. The way that these proof of stake solutions are going to start uh, operating is that the more coins you hold, the bigger the vote you will have in determining what goes into the ledger and what doesn't. That is a much more efficient way of doing the kinds of uh, solutions that I mentioned just a moment ago, um, and what, what we're seeing is uh, the there are indeed chains now that can make that type of, of uh, use that proof of state consensus mechanism to execute the, the types of tasks that I've been, been outlining here today. So I see a very bright future in that kind of um, mechanism. I, I want to also point out, I don't think that spells doom and gloom for, for Bitcoin, because Bitcoin, as I mentioned earlier, it's more digital gold. It's a store of value. It, it, at this time, is not really designed to run supply chains, or it's not designed to um, uh, run insurance contracts exactly. or, or things like that. It's, it's basically a payment mechanism. If you look at the white paper of Bitcoin, it's, it says that at the very top of that paper, Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer Payments mechanism. That's what it was designed to do. So it doesn't have to um, to switch to this new proof of stake in order to to survive and thrive.
0: So taking the proof of stake concept, let's let's go back to Louis Vuitton, which I'm, I I appear fascinated by. Um, let's go back to Louis Louis Vuitton. Um, if they want to use a cryptocurrency to uh, to carry out what we're talking about in terms of attaching tokens to each one of their handbags, etc. Will they do you then picture a world because the risk is if they choose an existing cryptocurrency, which somebody out there owns a very large stake in, do they need to do Louis Vuitton need to take a huge stake themselves in order to be sure that um, things go the way they want it to, because it's proof of stake, which is needed to direct um, this, this, this vote, as you say, or might a Louis Vuitton create their own, perhaps if they're big enough. And, and so, um, so you'd end up with a kind of Louis Vuitton coin because that's the only way that Louis Vuitton could be sure of having proof of stake to be able to, to, to control the votes.
2: So I think there are two ways to look at this, or at least two ways that I've identified. I I, I don't want to ever think that, yeah, you know, the ways I've thought of the only ways of doing things, there, there could be innovative people that come up with new stuff, but at least the way that I'm seeing it right now is there are really two options that a company like Louis Vuitton could go down. The first is that they have a private blockchain, meaning that they would have that they would maintain the data, they would maintain the, the database, maybe they share it with selected partners. And what they would do to again add an, an additional layer of trust to that private blockchain network is that they would get a cryptographic timestamp from a public ledger. Almost like when you sell a a home here in the United States, let's say when you were living in Austin, Mark, I I sold you my home down there. Um, We would, if you signed it and I signed it, that would not be enough in the eyes of the law to make it a legal transaction. We would have had to have gone to a notary public and had the notary sign that yes, you know, Mark. Uh, Mark. Mark signed it on this date. I've got proper IDs. Baxter signed it on this particular date. I've got proper IDs, and with that notary stamp as well, then it becomes a legal contract. I see something similar of a, of an option for someone like Louis Vuitton. They maintain that the, the the ledger, maybe another company that that they're working with or as a, a vendor, whatever it might be, would share in that database or could have certain access privileges to Louis Vuitton's database. But the way that the data would become more trusted is that they have that, again, that cryptographic timestamp from a public type of, of ledger that would, mm-hmm. that would do wonders for, um, ensuring trust and, and, um, that the, the data was, was, uh, completely accurate. The other option that you have is to go onto a public chain and completely run the, um, the network. And yes, you are correct. These corporations, they want to make sure things go their way. If they're going to be investing millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, um, they want to make sure that it's going to work out. And there are a couple of these chains that are starting to make that work. Um, there are a couple that that I, I would, would highlight. One is actually a project that's here in Dallas called Hedera Hashgraph. Um, it's almost against the ethos of the blockchain community to have corporations involved in a project. Um, I actually am a a fan of this because I do believe enterprise blockchains are going to be necessary in order for the potential of of blockchain to really flourish and and to uh, see to it that its full, full potential is met. What Hedera has done is they have assembled a group of up to thirty-nine corporations and 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 uh, just really public entities from all around the world that will run the governance of a particular of their particular chain. Um, they right now have twenty-nine members on that council. It includes firms like Google, IBM, Nomura Bank in Japan, Boeing, um, University College London. Uh, they've got a, a, a huge collection of um, you. Know, of corporations that you and I would know the names of
0: um, Mm. corporations. It's like a a commercial council of elders in a way.
2: Exactly right. And so um, one of the most exciting projects that actually was announced yesterday is that there's a firm uh, based in California called Avery Denison. They're the world's largest manufacturer of RFID chips. So those are radio frequency identifiers. Basically, if you've got a pallet of goods, you've got these RFID chips in all of your, Goods that are in that pallet. When the pallet moves from, say, the warehouse and puts the goods on a truck, those chips allow the computers to know that that particular activity has happened. Um, Just as as an example. So Avery Dennison has created something. You can go to the website. It's it's called atma.io, A T M A.io. They just released that they've got uh, billions of different SKUs or, or goods that they are um they are tracking and tracing for their clients which includes some of the world's biggest companies again Procter and Gamble and adidas and, and and you name it the who's who of of, uh, of consumer goods and and, and and other products and what they're doing is they are tracking supply chain onto the on, on the blockchain they're also tracking carbon, uh, emissions and other kinds of environmental stuff on this Hedera Hashgraph Network. I won't go into all kinds of detail, but I would encourage you to, to check out that website again, atma.io and the Hedera Network. This is an example of a big company. Avery Dennison's got like a $14 billion market cap. They're a Fortune 500 company. They have decided to go with Hedera, with the, with the governing council of that particular blockchain and build. And they're willing to, t- to sign up their clients to, to partake in something like this. So um, this stuff takes a little bit longer to build. It's a little bit more complex than what we're seeing today on Ethereum and some of these other chains, but it is happening. And it, the, the amount of data that these things can create, the amount of efficiencies that these things can create, you know, really the sky's the limit in terms of, you know, unlocking the, the, the power of these connected products and, and, and empowering these brands to, to drive savings and, and sustainability through this traceability that blockchain allows
0: got it okay so here we are on 13th of may you have laid out the future of blockchain and where cryptocurrency fits in to that future so it's still a, a glittering future as you lay it out um where does the the week we've just had fit into that vision how how would you put um uh the week we've just had against that context in terms of and and we've had um stable uh, we've had um, a notable stable coin going almost to zero in in terms of luna and we've had all cryptocurrencies down kind of 30 40% in lots of places how how do you uh, contextualize that against against well on the on the path to the future you laid out
2: sure i'm not going to deny it's been a painful last couple of weeks or really a painful beginning to the year now crypto is not the only part of the marketplace that's been hit. I mean, we've had stocks, bonds everywhere uh, getting really decimated. It's been one of the worst beginnings of the year ever in the history of, of financial markets or, or modern financial markets. But no, crypto's, crypto has definitely stumbled. But I actually think what's happened in the last week is is very healthy for what's going on. Um, a few weeks ago, um, you can go onto our website, honeycombedigital.io and see one of the podcasts that we put out um, uh, in our digital asset initiatives uh, series um, where we, we talked about that the, the episode was called A Fundamental Approach to Crypto Research Part 3, where we talked about uh, Terra and the, the problems that were in place with the mechanism for, for maintaining that stablecoin. Um, we did not see the interest that people were uh, obtaining off of UST against dollar-pegged currency in the Terra uh, ecosystem as being sustainable. We saw the reserves getting hit, and and it just being something that was was not uh, a long term good play. Um, we just didn't. We thought it was all based on confidence, and that it, it could be hit, and mm. and and the market would react to it very fast and very furiously. I think it's good that that something like that has been flushed out of the the system, um, for better or for worse. The regulators have taken notice of what has happened. Um, there was a congressional hearing earlier this week where Pat Toomey, who's a U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania, he asked Janet Yellen, um, another high-ranking official within the Treasury Department, Mm -hmm. about the situation. And basically what uh, Janet Yellen said was, look, we're going to have stablecoin regulation by the end of the year. Uh, I think that is important for the growth of this industry. You have to have a stable type of payments mechanism. You don't want investors getting um, the rug pulled out on them. Um, now I, I, I do think people should know that investing in crypto is, is risky. I don't want anybody to in, infer that what I'm saying here is financial advice, but you've got to do your own homework. And the, uh, the incident that happened this week just shows that the risks that are happening, and that is again, why I think that corporations and other types of, um, Enterprises and entities that want to really do a lot of volume on these blockchains are going to have to consider who they work with, how they're going to do things, and how battle-tested they want these these blockchains to to be. Because it, it will be the future of not just finance, but of supply chains, video games, you you name it. It's gonna be the economy. It's gonna be the economy. And so it needs to be safeguarded, it needs to be taken seriously. And quite frankly, we can't really see an increase in infrastructure in the way that it needs to be until the rules of the game have been outlined uh, by these
0: regulators. And so on you, on you, um, on you having it both ways a bit there in terms of one of the great benefits of, of, or many, many crypto investors and enthusiasts, one of the great benefits for them is, is freedom from, government and actually being able to break away from fiat currency and actually a a kind of utopian world of of man-to-man transaction rather than you know interference from a from a higher power um does that does it does it not then um encouraging regulation does that not then jar against that vision
2: it yes and no um I would say let's let's take a step back and look at another technology that was about you know creating man to man or person to person kind of, of communication. It's what we're using right now to do this podcast. It's the internet. Um, the internet broke down an incredible number of barriers um, and, and took a lot of intermediaries out of transactions. Um, that and and people thought, hey, the, the world's going to open up. Everybody's going to be able to talk to each other. We're going to build these websites and we're going to build these um, you know this infrastructure within the internet to you know, free us from some of the, the, the constraints that we've had, um, before it, the internet created an incredible amount of, of economic growth, but yeah. it did so with regulation. Um, I don't see a world where the governments don't get involved. I also don't see as many people getting involved in this technology or any technology, unless there's their regulations. Um, people often, uh, they compare, Blockchain to the Wild West, uh, meaning that like the American frontier, when you had the, the days of Billy the Kid and and, and Wyatt Earp on the, on the frontiers of, of the American West, a place like South Dakota and California, and Nevada, whatever it might be. Um, those were the days when not many people lived in that part of, of the United States. Well, as more people moved out there, they said, we're not going to, you know. Resolve yeah, disputes right. by, you know, who has the fastest draw of their pistol. We're going to set up laws and regulations and we're going to make this place more civilized. I think the same thing is going to happen uh, in the blockchain space. It, it'll, it'll create all kinds of, of economic growth. It may not be ideal, but it it it's it's a reality that, that I think people need in order for this thing to really flourish.
0: This is particularly relevant when we're talking about stablecoin regulation um, because... Uh, the Terra Luna um, stablecoin was um, uh, was backed by an algo, so it was it, uh, an algorithm. It was decided the the stability that was 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 brought by and and the uh, and the tre and the treasury of the of the stablecoin was in Bitcoin. The idea being that it was it was it was free of that um, fiat currency, that free of regulation, free of government interference. Because um, if you're if you're if you're using Bitcoin to prop up the currency if it goes wrong, then there's no way a government can interfere because they can't interfere with Bitcoin. Whereas Tether, which is one that you've mentioned, is a stable coin which is backed by dollars and and fiat currencies and and, and real world assets like that. Um, do you think then that um if we're talking about regulation of stablecoin, do we think that there's going to be a strong guidance towards it has to be fiat backed. It has to be more on the tether model than the, uh, than the, than the Terra Luna model.
2: The first thing I would say about the, about Terra is people said, well, look, it's, it's a decentralized way of having a stable coin. And I'm thinking to myself, yes, there is some decentralized mechanisms to it, but ultimately the backing, the person that there was a person, literally Do Kwan, um, he controlled when to issue uh the reserves that they had avalanche coin and they had and and they had uh, Bitcoin in the reserves. That's a centralized mechanism where one person or one group of people um, controlled it. So I I, I think it's just that, choosing
0: a it's just it, choosing a different it, government it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it. it's
2: picking your poison, right? And so yeah. I do think that you're exactly right that these governments will want these stable coins to be regulated in a way almost like a bank is regulated. Because if you think about it, what you're doing, going back to the ADR example that I mentioned earlier, someone is depositing a dollar with you in hopes of getting it back one day. And so in the meantime, what is that stable coins governance mechanism? What is it doing with those dollars? Is it investing those um investing that money on a one you know, game of craps at a casino? Is it investing it in, quote unquote, safe treasury bills? Is it buying Bitcoin? What is it doing with that? Banks are regulated that way to protect individuals. And these stable coins are basically doing the same thing. So why would they not be subject to the same kind of regulation? I know this this will create a lot of controversy within the, the community, mm-hmm. but I just think that there's... There's theory and then there's practice. And there's the old saying that in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. But in practice, there is a difference between the two. And, and I just, I don't think you can be so ideal as to think that this code can just correct everything. You, you, ha- the, you have to have some kind of way to to minimize the risks and make sure that people are aligned, um, who, are, who are, have all of the stakeholders' interests aligned. And I think the government's going to, for right or for wrong is going to fill in and, and try to take that role with these stable coins.
0: Not to take things too too uh, too spacey, but I just wonder if you talk about the Wild West, um, and Elon Musk is clearly a uh, a person who's kind of front and center of the news in a lot of different ways at the moment, but I just wonder if if uh, if cryptocurrency and 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 the blockchain and and independent trust actually Needs a whole new world in order to um, to really uh, flourish and flower in a kind of that free utopian way, and I wonder if that could be Mars. <laughs> um, quite a quite a uh, quite a <laughs> spacey vision to finish on.
2: I think you know you're exactly right. I, the the technologies that Elon Musk is thinking about really taking to the next level, um, automated driving cars. A lot of people don't know this. Tesla has all kinds of robots that they've been um, developing to do to do different tasks, um, he sees a, a way of, of, again, using technology to, to simplify our lives or to automate a lot of things in our lives. And I'm, I'm going to give a plug out to a friend of mine down in Austin, who's also an author with with Wiley. His name is Jake Ryan. When I put out my book, this his book called Crypto Asset Investing in the Age of Autonomy came out. And basically what he outlined was that we're at a point in our history where you've got these major technologies of Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, and then robotics and, and automated manufacturing all kind of working independently right now, what he sees is cryptocurrency being the glue that really holds all of that together and really making these things function almost as one. And the way he, he described in the book this happening was that basically you have the Internet of Things being all of these sensors and ways of of pulling in in data from from our environment. Basically, Mm. Internet of Things would be the eyes and ears of the economy. They would then funnel that data for a fee in cryptocurrency, paid in cryptocurrency, down to the artificial intelligence, which would be the brains of the economy. It would then decide how to allocate resources. Then it would, for a cryptocurrency fee, would, would funnel down those orders to the, Robotics and automated manufacturing. So, the 3D printers, the self driving cars, the robots, all of that sort of stuff that would be sort of the the hands and feet making and delivering all of these goods and services. And cryptocurrency really allows all of those to function together because you can't have a system that doesn't have some sort of payments mechanism. And what's great about cryptocurrency is you can make all kinds of microtransactions that you couldn't, you can't really do with the current type of of monetary system that we have today. So like here in the United States, are plenty of times where I've walked into a, a convenience store and there'll be a little sign that says, we don't take credit cards unless you, you're spending more than $3 or something like that. With cryptocurrency and, and being able just to write stuff into a ledger, you could pay somebody one 100th of a cent just as easily as you give them $100. Um, and so crypto really, oh, and these distributed ledgers allow all this information and value to flow through the system in a trustworthy way that's that's instantaneous almost um, and can really, again, take technology to a whole new level and, and create all this prosperity in our society.
0: Fantastic. That's a very positive note and, uh, and far-reaching note on which to end. Um, Baxter, thank you very much for your very um, patient and, uh, and excellent explanations and, and, and yeah, really calm kind of steady approach. And, and it's been, it's been fascinating for me. So thank you very much, Baxter. And, um, and here's to, uh, here's to the future coming, coming to pass.
2: Absolutely. No, I, I really appreciate your time and, um, love to come back on your show at some, sometime in the future.